I really liked uh, that new song. I think that songs like that are very helpful for us because they state truths simply, and they're truths that we need to be reminded of every single day. Um, that old kid song, This is the Day the Lord Has Made, it's such a, uh, an important reminder uh, to get up every morning and go back to that because our, our brains tend to keep that information out, right? They tend to exclude that from our experience of walking through the day. And so it's so good to just constantly be reminded of those truths. And that song was particularly filled with simple statements of important truths for us to remember and remind ourselves of. So thank you uh, to our musicians. Thank you to Audra for uh, your leadership in picking that song and uh, leading us this morning. Well, let me pray for us. And uh, one more time, and we'll get into uh, our study this morning as we continue talking about the church, all right? Let's pray. Father, we're uh, grateful to be together this morning. We're grateful for your work in our lives, and we want to pray, um, as Paul prays in his letter to the Philippians, that you would uh, just continue that work in us. Um, week after week, uh, we... We know that you are working as your word is taught, as we expose our hearts to your word, as we listen, as we apply, as we look to Christ, that you are, at, at times it seems um, imperceptibly doing this work, but we pray that this morning that would continue, that you would strengthen our faith, that we would behold Christ as he truly is, that our affections would grow for him even as we sit and listen this morning. Um, that this would be a time where we experience again your grace and come face to face with what you have done for us in the gospel. Um, so be with us now in a particularly special way. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm no architect or builder, but I do know that before you can build any building that is going to last, that you have to consider the foundation especially if you are going to build a skyscraper. When they build such tall buildings that we would call skyscrapers, they have to build the foundation for those buildings deep enough to be able to transfer the weight load down into the ground. And doing that, transferring that weight load requires oftentimes long vertical, they put them straight down into the ground, steel beams or whatever material you're going to use, and those vertical steel beams are called piles, P-I-L-E-S, and they are driven down very deeply into the soil to make a foundation for something like a skyscraper. Now, I always thought, up until this week, that a pile driver was a wrestling move. But it turns out that it's what you call the machine that drives the foundation pile down deep into the soil. No kidding. Things you learned for the first time and made connections this week as you're preparing for this. So I want you this morning, some of you are like, pile driver, I've never even heard of that. You didn't watch wrestling as a kid. Here's a building, uh, one of the tallest in the world, called the Shanghai Tower. It's located in Shanghai, China. And it stands over 2,000 feet tall. Now, Shanghai is an earthquake zone, right? So this would be maybe a little like building a tall building in Los Angeles or somewhere like that. 
And to make this building and have it stand at this height over 2,000 feet tall, they had to drive 980 foundation piles into the ground, and they extend some of them 280 feet vertically down into the ground. And then at the top of those foundation piles, they poured over 2 million cubic feet of concrete and created a foundation of 20 feet thick to anchor those piles and then connect to the building. It is crazy to think about that. But that's why you have a building that can stand in an earthquake zone over 2,000 feet tall like this. It matters how you start a building. You don't just start and go straight up. You start by going down into the ground. The foundation must be good for the building to remain standing. Now, last week we began a series you saw on the screen earlier called Indispensable Church. And over the next couple of weeks, two more weeks after this, we're going to talk about the importance of the local church. Last week we talked about our identity as the church. What are we? What sort of a gathering? What sort of an organization? What sort of an entity are we as the church? And this week, we're obviously going to talk about the foundation of the church. If you had to name one thing that is absolutely necessary for the church to begin, for it to start, and then for the church to remain strong and standing, what would that thing be? What would you put in that category as the foundation of the church? Last week... Here was kind of the theme of what we did. We defined the church this way. The church is the people of God created by the gospel and given a task, right? And so last week we talked about that first part of that definition, the people of God, an assembly, a community. You're not just saved as an individual and then sort of left to float on your own. You are saved as an individual as you respond in faith. God gives you grace You respond to the gospel, but you are placed within a community, an assembly, a group of people. You're no longer out there on your own. This week, we want to talk about the next part of this, that that community, that assembly is created by and based on and continues to stand rooted in the gospel. You may remember from last week, if you were here, that one author called the church His definition was the community of the gospelized. And I think that's exactly right. It's a people, a gathering, a group who've been put together by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this week I want to give you another sentence summary. And then we're going to break this thing down, all right? So this is a little different than we normally do in here. But I think that you guys can track as we go through this. So here's our sentence for this week. Last week was our identity. This week is our foundation as the church. This is what we're built on and what we remain standing on. And here's here's our statement for the week. The gospel gathers and grows the church to the glory of God. A lot of G's in that sentence. All right? So here's what we're going to do this morning as far as outline goes. We're going to define the gospel. We're going to take those first two words and we're going to define it. And then we're going to take the rest of the G's in this And we're going to talk about three reasons or three results of the gospel when the gospel is the foundation. It gathers, it grows the church, and it glorifies God when the church is rooted in the gospel. All right? So let's start with defining the gospel. Because you can't can't understand the foundation and you can't understand what we're still standing on as the church unless you understand this first word, gospel. 
that was mentioned last week and this week. Some of you know, I'm sure most of you know, that this word gospel literally means good news. You've un- you understand that, you've heard that before, but I want to focus on that word news. What are we trying to say when we say that the gospel is news? I'm sure all of you are aware that we heard some news a couple of weeks ago that impacted a whole lot of people and that was significant around the world. The fact that Queen Elizabeth had died after reigning for the the longest period of time on the throne of England, 70 years. That was news, okay? We heard an announcement that she had died. Let me clarify what I mean by news. That was not a command. It was not advice for you. It was not a task when you heard that news. It was not a task that you had to add to your to-do list that particular day. What was it? It was a proclamation of something that had happened in history, in time, and in space. It was news. It was an event that took place. Now, that news had an impact on people, right? There were implications that came from that news, and it caused people to respond to the news in particular and different ways. But at the core of it, it was an announcement. It was news nonetheless. And it's the exact same thing with the gospel. And you have to understand this, or it gets really confusing. And the path of salvation gets very confusing. And your sanctification gets very confusing if you don't understand this. The gospel is an announcement. It's news concerning an event that has taken place in history. It's not something you do. It's not working harder, which is wonderful news. It's not doing better. It's not obeying more and living a good life or even a decent life. It's not being better than you are bad at certain times and your good outweighing your bad. It's not coming to church or being involved. It's not getting your life together. It's not praying every day. At the most basic level, you need to understand that when the Bible, as you'll see this morning, talks about the gospel, it's talking about a pronouncement, a proclamation of something that God has brought about. It's some work that he has done in human history. So, since it's an announcement of something God has brought about, what is that news? What do we mean when we say the word gospel? What are we proclaiming and announcing? One author put it like this, and you can find definitions of this everywhere. But I liked this one. The gospel is fundamentally a story about how salvation comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. So, when you hear the gospel... When you read about the gospel in the New Testament, you are hearing about Jesus as the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. But that news that is announced comes to us in in two key areas. And this is how I want you to understand gospel this morning, right? Think of the gospel as news about God's work for the whole of creation, sort of the big picture of what the gospel accomplishes. And then think about this as a pronouncement, as news for you as an individual. Big picture, 30,000 foot view of this in the sky, and then on the ground, the gospel for you, news for you as an individual. So let's break those down a little bit. Here's the in the sky view of the gospel, what God has brought about. 
He, through the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, is going to and has begun renewing all of creation. Everything is impacted by this work that God has done. This is the news. Everything that has been broken by sin is going to be made right in the end. That's the big picture. Now let's take the individual side. Along with the renewal of all creation, through Christ is the salvation of individual people to him as they believe. They are forgiven of their sins. This is the announcement that is made. Through Christ, you are forgiven of your sins. You are rescued from the domain of darkness. You are placed under the authority of the, and the lordship of, of Jesus Christ. These people that are saved over here through Christ are reconciled to God. They're made right with him. They have peace with him. They're declared righteous in his eyes. They enter his kingdom. And they're going to spend eternity with him. That's the pronouncement on a renewed earth that is free from sin and living as they should be living. And creation will be, the big picture, freed from the curse of sin. And everything will be right and it will flow and it will be as it should. That is the pronouncement that God has done his work to bring that about. That is the gospel news. It's the announcement that that work has happened through Jesus. It's already begun and that we are awaiting the final consummation of that work. We're living in between. But as we're waiting, we can be sure that God is going to bring all of that about. Everything will be made right, and we will spend eternity with him. So when that news is announced that God has done that work, because that's what we're saying the gospel is, God has begun the work to renew creation through Christ, and he is saving individual people as Christ is our substitutionary sacrifice and won the victory over sin and death, as that is announced, what do you do with that? You respond to it. That's what happens when news is announced to you. You hear the news and you respond to that news. Notice that the gospel is not something we do, but something that is done by the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, working together on mission to redeem sinful, rebellious humanity and establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It is, as the word suggests, news, a newspaper headline. It is a historical fact with ongoing significance for the present. We do not do or be the gospel. We respond to it. And what's the response? Believe it. Faith. Trust that it's real and that it happened and that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that as you see what he did and believe in him, you are forgiven for your sins and that now you will spend eternity in his kingdom on the new earth when everything is renewed and made right. Respond to the gospel. It's not a to-do list. It's not a law given to you. It's news and a pronouncement. That news is the foundation of the church. That is what the church is built on, and that is what the church continues to stand on. So once we define the gospel, now we want to go to the rest of that sentence, right? The gospel gathers and grows the church to the glory of God. And now we want to give you three results of the proclamation of the gospel. What happens when the gospel, when that news is announced around the world? What, what results from that? Here are the three 
results. First of all, the gospel gathers the church. So I want you to turn to the book of Acts. And you're going to want to keep your Bible handy this morning because we're going to jump around quite a bit. I got tired of putting long passages on the screen. And so you're going to have to turn with me this morning. Acts chapter 2. We looked at this last week as the church began here at Pentecost, and it began through the coming of the Holy Spirit and Peter's preaching. And what does Peter preach? If you look at verse 36, here's the summary, and here's how he ends his message on the day of Pentecost. This is the foundation of the church. This is integral to the beginning of how, of, of how the church comes about. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Through his death and resurrection, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus is the Christ. He's the culmination of the Old Testament. He's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all of the promises and types and expectations in the Old Testament. Everything that Israel couldn't do and couldn't be, he fulfills and brings about. He's the Christ. And at the same time, he's the Lord. He wins the victory over sin and death and the powers of darkness. And he is the king who sits on his throne and has all authority because of his victory over sin and death. He is Lord and Christ. That's the news. That right now, Jesus is both of those things through his death and resurrection. It's that message that people hear and then they respond to. And when they respond to that message by believing that it's true and that it has implications for their lives, they now come into the church. The church is gathered. We could look further in Acts. We did this last week, but you could continue reading. The people cry out, what do we do in response to this? And what does Peter say? Repent. Repent and be baptized into the church. And then they gather together in verses 42 to 47. And they participate together in the reality that has been created by this announcement. Now, there are lots of other places we could go in the New Testament to show you how the gospel does this work and gathers the church. We showed this quite a bit last week in the book of Acts. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time here this morning because I think this is something that we all intuitively or biblically, let me say, understand. We read our Bibles and we know if we proclaim the gospel to someone in our neighborhood and they respond in faith, they come to, into the church. Right? That's, that's reality. The gospel gathers the church. We plant churches. We send out missionaries to proclaim the gospel to plant churches. That's what we do as Christians. So we know the connection between gathering the church and a church beginning and this pronouncement of the gospel. But here's the one that I think maybe we struggle with a little bit. It's not quite as clear to us sometimes. And we sort of forget our foundation and we forget that we're standing on this foundation and that we need to continue to stand on this foundation. The gospel grows the church. It doesn't just gather the church. This message, this pronouncement grows the church. It's very easy to think that the gospel is a pronouncement for the unsaved. And then it's easy to think that once they understand and receive the gospel, that now we sort of move on to other things. 
and they need to be taught different things. That the gospel is sort of the ABCs and the beginning of the Christian life, and then we move on to grammar and reading and all of this. And we're not just learning our letters anymore. But that's not the way the Bible presents the relationship between the church and the gospel at all. It's a much closer relationship to the point where Paul's ministry to local churches is driven by his announcement, his continued announcement of the good news of the gospel. Here's why that song stuck out to me so much this morning. You and I need to continue to hear the pronouncement of what God has done in the gospel through Christ. We cannot forget that. We cannot move away from that. You need to keep hearing that pronouncement that he is going to redeem the whole creation and individual people have forgiveness of sins through his work. We need to hear about him and what he has done. This is the heartbeat of Paul's ministry. You see this in all of his letters. He goes back to the gospel and he tells them, I want to come to you who are already believers and proclaim the gospel to you once again. Because that's what you need to grow. So I want you to turn to the book of Romans here. Very beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1. It's right after Acts. Listen to what he told the church at Rome. And he's obviously talking to believers here, right? Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So he wants to come see them, and he wants to impart a gift to strengthen them. Verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is what he wanted to do. He wanted to come to them, to strengthen them, to encourage them. And how is he going to do that? He's going to preach the gospel to them. He's not just looking to see people saved. He's going to explain the gospel and expound the gospel, which is really what he does in the rest of the book of Romans. Gives them the gospel so that their faith can grow and so that they can be strengthened. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We've looked at this passage many times, I think, but again, we need to be reminded of the truths here. 1 Corinthians 15. And if you pass 1 Corinthians 2 on the way, you can hold your finger there because we're going to go right back there. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, verse 1, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, 
If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. They are standing in the gospel and being saved by the gospel. That is why, because Paul saw this of first importance, because this is what he taught to them and explained to them and expounded to them. This is why, go back to 1 Corinthians 2, he could define his ministry this way. This is how he understood what he was all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He preached Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, all that about him that we have in the scriptures, his fulfillment of the Old Testament. He preached and held up Christ and the gospel. That was what he did with his ministry. That's how Paul defines how he saw believers grow. Now I want you to turn over to 1 Thessalonians 2. This is what Dom read this morning. 1 Thessalonians 2. Just past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. 1 Thessalonians 2. I'm going to look a little bit more at this passage, all right? As I'm reading this text, I want you to look for the word gospel. This was central to Paul's message in Thessalonica, okay? You'll see this over and over again in this text. Highlight it this time, all right? Verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then verse 13, I think, is the key here. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So in light of verses 2 and verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 4, where he mentions the gospel of God and his goal is to preach the gospel of God, 
to the to believers at Thessalonica in light of all that in verse 13 where Paul says that the word of God is at work in you believers, what do you think he meant by the word of God? He's already defined it for us. It's the gospel. That's what he preached to them. He gave them the news concerning the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He talked to them about the inauguration of God's kingdom and how it's going to come in all of its fullness and culmination later on. That's the word that he began proclaiming to see the church gather at Thessalonica. And that's the word that he continued to proclaim to them so that the believers would grow. He gave them news all the time. That is why, let's move to some application now, okay? Let me try to make this a little clearer for you. That is why growth in the church, depth of relationship with Christ, cannot happen through a bunch of how-to sermons and Bible studies. The Bible is immensely practical, right? It tells us ethics and how to live, but that is always in response to the work of Christ, to the proclamation of the news. It's very easy for us to want a sermon on Sunday that gives us, that ends with three practical steps or four things you can do this week. And we do that sometimes, and that can be helpful sometimes. But if there's a steady diet of that, and that's all that I ever give you, then you're not hearing the gospel. And hearing the gospel is how you grow into the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. You don't grow to be like him by constantly and only hearing about more tasks that need to be done. That's not how it happens. One author put it this way. Since faith in Christ is what really changes our hearts and makes us new, it is hearing the gospel of Christ that really helps us live the Christian life. So if you want to change people's lives, it doesn't help to talk about their lives and how to change them. You have to tell them about Christ and what he does to change us into new people and make us his own. You have to keep preaching the gospel. Notice what he says here. It doesn't help to talk about their lives and how to change them. But in our individualistic, self-centered culture, this is what we want. I want to show up and have you talk about me. I want to be the center of attention. If I come in here every single week and take some issue, some practical issue that you're dealing with in your life, finances, whatever it may be, and talk about that and talk about how you can fix that in your life and give you practical steps to fix that, then what have we done? We've just given you more law. We've just told you how to be a better person. But we've never connected the real implications of the gospel back to the gospel. We've never connected what you need to do back to the work that Christ has done for you. And it always has to flow that direction. Giving you practical sermons every week heaps the law on you and makes it burdensome and you cannot possibly lift those burdens and it gets frustrating. But what is it that you and I actually need every week? You need the gospel. You need this every Sunday. You need this every day of the week. You need to go back and remind yourselves of these truths every single day. This is how you grow to become like Christ. You need to have your thoughts pulled up away from yourself. And I need to have my thoughts pulled up away from myself 
and my issues to think about Christ and to see him in his glory and his beauty and to meditate on him. I need to hear the news, the pronouncement, the announcement of what has happened for me and for you and for us as the church that God has done. I need to hear about atonement, about forgiveness, about reconciliation, about union with Christ, redemption, adoption. I need to hear about all of those things that Christ has accomplished for us, for you, and for me. Samuel Rutherford said this, acquaint yourself with Christ's love and you shall not miss to find new gold mines and treasuries in Christ. But here's our problem. Here's my problem. I far too often don't acquaint myself with Christ's love. I don't go there. I think it's impractical. I think my time is probably spent doing better, doing other things. I try to make myself better instead of going back to the fountain and drinking deeply of it and searching for new gold and treasures in the love of Christ given to me in the story of the cross. I don't go there. Philip Carey again. We find our beloved in his story, not ours. That is to say, we don't find Christ by looking at our own lives, but by hearing the gospel. It makes all the difference where we look. Preaching the gospel gets us looking at Christ and finding ourselves in his story rather than looking at ourselves and trying to find Christ in our lives. The bottom line here is that the church grows, right? That's the whole point. The gospel gathers the church and grows the church, and the church grows into holiness. We are made like Christ. We become what we should be as the bride of Christ, not by looking at ourselves at the bride. We come, become what we should be in holiness by looking at our beloved, by gazing on him. But this, this isn't just a pulpit thing, okay? The pulpit, in many ways, drives the church. There's no doubt about that. And that's not me saying that. That's the word of God saying that. The pulpit drives the church. However, this... And focusing on Christ does not end with the pulpit. It's not good enough. It won't accomplish the work of Christ in us. It won't bring us to holiness if this is all that ever happens to make us look at Christ. What has to happen? As you look at Christ as an individual now, you need to turn to other believers and help them look to Christ as well. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to go next. Backwards a couple pages. The church grows by the gospel. And it involves all of us, not just the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Ephesians 4, we'll start in verse 11. Who else is responsible to know the gospel and speak the gospel? Certainly church leaders are. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why did he give these individuals to the church? Verse 12, to equip the saints... That's all of you, that's all of us, for what? The work of ministry. What is ministry? It's not just being involved in a program at church. The work of ministry actually builds up, look at the rest of verse 12, the body of Christ, until, here's the goal, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We want to look like Jesus. How does that happen? It happens as the saints participate in the work of ministry. But what does that mean? 
to do the work of ministry. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So how do we grow? We speak the truth in love. You, we, all of us together know the gospel. We have the knowledge of Christ. We're acquainted with his love. And then we find opportunities to build up one another as we speak these truths to one another. To apply the gospel to a particular need in a particular situation. To rejoice in the work that Christ has done. And when that happens... When we all are participating in this, look at the results. We grow up in every way. And what do we grow up into? Christ. We look like him. Verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's how we grow. It's all of us together looking at Christ and not ourselves. And that's why we need the gospel. Week in, week out, day in, day out. Last result here. The church, the gospel gathers the church, the gospel grows the church, and then lastly, the church glorifies God when it is rooted in the gospel. I want you to go back just one page, if, if a page at all, back to Ephesians 3. You can see this, I think, very vividly here. Okay, so... We studied the book of Ephesians maybe a couple years ago, but he spent chapters one and two showing us the glories of the gospel, right? The work of Christ on our behalf, what has happened to us because of the gospel, what Jesus has done. Chapter two, verses one to 10 are particularly clear for you as an individual. Then chapter two, verses 11 through 22, show us the the, uh, plural results of this, how the church is brought together into one people as the temple of God, unified around the gospel of Christ. So the gospel saves individuals and then creates the church. And then in chapter 3, he points out that his ministry of preaching the gospel has involved a mystery. This mystery is something that he has proclaimed that has not been clearly revealed before, but is now abundantly clear. What is that mystery? Look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery is that there's now one people of God that have been brought together into the church. That's the mystery. And what happens when this one people of God are brought together into the church as the gospel is proclaimed? What's the purpose of all of this? Verses 7 through 10. Look there. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what he did. He preached the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he's illuminating this plan of God to include and save people by the gospel. That's what Paul is announcing to people, this news of the work that God has done. And what's the purpose of it all? Verse 10. So that through the church, us, 
God's people, saved by the gospel, the manifold, the diverse, multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the purpose of the church. It's to put God's wisdom and his character and his glory on display. To magnify Christ, to magnify God through the proclamation of the unsearchable riches of Christ and how that has created this unified body out of people that weren't unified at all before. The church grows, is gathered, grows, and then the church glorifies God as we keep going back to the gospel. And as we live out the implications of the gospel, and it, put, it puts the character of God on display for all the world to see. So, here's the bottom line today, all right? Bring it all back together. Let's be a church, and this is not just for leadership. Let's be a church that is recommitted to this news. Let's be a church that is recommitted to this news, to the announcement of what God has done through Christ. Let's not mess around with anything less. We don't want to get off onto all these other side issues. The gospel, as Paul says in Romans 1, after he promises he's going to proclaim it to them, it is the power of God. When this news is announced, the Holy Spirit illuminates people's hearts and brings them to faith and has them saved. That's what happens when the gospel is announced because it is the power of God. It's his message that he uses to save and to sanctify people, to gather and to grow his church. So let's talk about Christ. Let's dive into and acquaint ourselves with his glory and his beauty and his love. And when we do that, sometimes counterintuitively, when we take our focus off of ourselves and our issues and our problems and we look at him, he changes us. And over time, we begin to act differently and feel differently and behave differently because he has done the work to change us by his spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going for. That's our goal. That's why we need to have our foundation as the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is very simple this morning. I pray that you would help us as a church and each individual person here to be gospel people, that we would acquaint ourselves with the work that you have done over and over and over again so that we know it so well we are shaped by it. And I pray that we as a church would be so focused, relentlessly focused on this and exploring the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ that we would be made holy and that we would have an impact beyond what we could possibly think in our area and even around the world. We thank you for this news. We thank you that it is tremendously good news. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.